Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go for the two most interesting teams in the NFL this year, and I think they are. I believe that the Jets, well, I know they are. They are the single most interesting team in the NFL this year. But I'll tell you who might be number two. The Colts. Yeah, I said it. The Colts. The Jets and the Colts. Interesting as hell. They both really have my attention. And it's been a while since that was true. And in the immortal words of one Jim Ursay, all together now, I love to see it. <laughs> love to see love it. To love see to it. see it. Now, y'all know I love the Jets team. And I think that what they're doing is going to work. And I think they got even better yesterday by making a very sensible one-year bet on Dalvin Cook. And clearly, Dalvin is a believer, too, because he had other options, even in the division, but he seemed locked in on the Jets the entire time. Now, we all know that the alleged, supposed super teams are really a crapshoot. And by a crapshoot, I mean they actually rarely ever work. But I can't deny this. The Jets are stacked. They're weaponized. I also will not deny that the Colts are a lot less stacked. But after this morning's news, they're a lot more interesting because their new head coach, Shane Steichen, hit the podium this morning and declared that the fourth pick overall, Anthony Richardson, is in fact going to be the team's week one starter. I'll go ahead and start off, um, you know, after evaluating, you know, training camp and the film and all that, uh, I made a decision Anthony will be the starting quarterback this year for us. Um, like the progress he's made, excited about his future uh, and his playmaking ability that he brings to this football team. Uh, and with that being said, you know, we're super excited to have Gardner Minshew, uh, ultimate teammate, ultimate pro, does everything right, grinds and grinds and grinds. And uh, he's going to be great for Anthony. He's been great uh, for him all season, you know, through training camp and all those different things. But excited about Gardner uh, and this future of this football team. Hell yes. Once again, love to see it. <laughs> love to see love it. To see love it. to see it. And once again, I've got no idea how that's going to play out. Nobody does, not even the Colts, because this dude is as raw a prospect as any team has ever thrown on the field as a week one rookie starter at QB1. Let me say that again. Anthony Richardson is as raw as any rookie week one starter pretty much ever. And that's the reason why you want to get this guy going. That's the reason why this is the right move. Get this dude the most reps possible as soon as possible. And yes, I am well aware he only started 13 games at Florida. 13. Even worse than starting just 13, he lost 7 of those 13. And on top of that, he did not even complete 55% of his passes. We know these these stats. We all know them. We all know them, I just don't care. Because I also know that he showed up at the Combine at 6'4", 245, and ran a 443. This dude is a statue. He's built out of granite. He's got a howitzer on his shoulder. He has seemingly limitless potential. 
Why not let him play? Start the clock on this dude right freaking now. Get him the hell out there. He's not going to get anything at all by holding a clipboard. And let's face it, it's not like he's got the opportunity to study and learn from Pinky out there. It's not like he can just sit for a few years and be an understudy behind the tech slinger. Start the clock on this dude as soon as you possibly can. And also on top of that, give us something to watch. Give us a reason to care about these guys other than their kooky, off-and-off-the-rails owner, who I love. And no offense to Gardner Minshew, who I also love. That dude's a legend in and of himself. But nobody wants to watch Minshew QBing the Colts this season while this incredible talent, potentially, is holding onto a clipboard on the sideline. Now granted, if Minshew's out there, that still wouldn't be nearly as bad as watching Carson Wentz stumble around out there. But finally, finally, it's not going to be that Or it's not going to be some journeyman. It's not going to be some former great, some former pro bowler, some former MVP stumbling around in the backfield. It's going to be a mega talent under center for the Colts once again. Listen, there's a damn good reason that Jim Mercer went live from the war room on draft night with his chest puffed out, bragging about the quarterback that he had just selected. Okay, Colts Nation, here we are in the war room. 2023 draft, half a million people in Kansas City going crazy, but it was high drama, picks shifting obviously at two and three, and uh, it was very exciting because we were hoping to get Anthony Richardson, he was our targeted man, and um, we were thankful that he was there at four. I love this dude. Find me one other NFL owner who'd be coming to you live from the war room. You know, turning the phone around and saying, hey, Colts Nation, all right, here we are in the war room, excited as hell, watching everything breaking loose at number two and number three, and we got our guy who we wanted, got our guy, soon I'm going to walk this thing outside of the tarmac, finish my report outside my private jet. This dude's the best. You know, I keep private jet. He does. So listen, if he's the dude... If he's that dude, and you heard how excited Ursay was, if he's that dude, go ahead, put him on the field right now. Do it right away. Listen, nobody's expecting this dude, as freaky as he is athletically, to be in the top quartile of the upper quartile of QBs in your one. Of that upper quartile. But if he's going to learn, he's going to learn on the field. And that's going to be a win for everybody because no matter what happens, it's going to be a fascinating watch either way. Between Ursay and Richardson, all of a sudden, Indy has one of the more fascinating duos in the league on a team that not much is expected of, pretty much because we have no idea how it's going to go. But I can tell you this much. Starting Anthony Richardson from the jump makes a hell of a lot of sense. It's the right thing to do. It makes them a lot more interesting and It's a hell of a lot better than pulling a pancake-flipping, hot-take-having, talking head out of Bristol, out of a TV studio, and then sticking him on the sideline in the middle of a season before first comparing him to Don Shula. Hey, Shane. 
No one is expecting a Super Bowl run. However, however, let this dude do him. I don't want you just to start Anthony Richardson. Turn him the hell loose. I want the entire freak package on display. Like, call plays where this guy just drops back and is just peppering the ceiling of Lucas Oil. And after crazy TD runs, I want this guy doing backflips to the sidelines. And while the defense is on the field, can somebody wheel in an NBA regulation hoop to the sideline and have this monster do free throw line dunks? Stack some Gatorade jugs. Roll a Kia out there. Let him jump over the car. Anything. Everything. When you have a freak athlete like that, you take advantage of him. And from a quarterback standpoint, put him in there. Put him in there. It's not like you've got the Tech Slinger on the sideline or you've got Pinky on the sideline or Andrew Luck on the sideline. I love Minshew, but you know what? No reason to be an understudy or learn from an all-time great. Put him out there. I like it. They must have really liked what they saw in that first preseason game. I did. U.S. Cellular knows how important your kids' relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. We are joined right now by Packer David Bakhtiari. David, it is really nice to have you on the program. David, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm doing well, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Really good to have you on. So why don't we start first with your personal outlook? I think as many people know, you've dealt with so much adversity with the three knee surgeries in a span of 18 months. You missed the six games last year. Bring me up to date physically. How are you feeling right now heading into the season? I mean, yeah, doing a lot better spot than I was the past about two seasons. So uh, very promising uh, and definitely excited. Uh, excited finally, you know, to have that. Uh, in my rearview mirror, so to speak, and being able to kind of look on as I enter my 11th year. David, what's it like? I mean, for instance, it's not just the knee surgeries. Let's go ahead and mix in the appendectomy as well. So you had four procedures. Like, when you've got a process, you've got a way of doing things, and you know you're not right, but you kind of drag yourself onto the field, and you know you can't do what you're capable of doing, what's that like? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, it's, not, it's not fun, in the essence of like uh, your ability to do what you normally can do, you, you need to find a way. And at the end of the day, you want to be there for your team. You want to be there for your organization. Um, and you want to put, play your kind of brand of football. Now you have to get, kind of get creative um, at times. And, uh, you know, I've done that over, over the course of my 10 years, entering my 11th year. Uh, and each one proposed a different, uh, a different challenge. So, I mean, obviously, you know, with the abendectomy having, you know, I think that's like four surgeries in like 20 months being put under just sucks in general and then coming out of it and then getting yourself ready. But also if anyone who has had an appendectomy, um, the pain you have in your core, like that's not really easy. You know, I, I probably didn't stop feeling pain in my abdomen till about April. Um, so about, right around OTAs is when I finally like 
stop feeling like any pull or um, pain, which is crazy. But, I mean, you got to do what you have to do in season. I mean, that is crazy, especially when you do what you do for a living. As an example, and I'm not comparing this to that, but I understand pain in the core. You know, I told my listeners I had double hernia surgery. And, dude, that was so weird. I mean, I never knew. Not that I'm, like, the strongest guy in the core, but it's awfully weird not to be able to get out of bed, right? Like, you have to teach yourself how to get out of bed, that it takes 20 minutes to just get out of bed. You never know how important the core is until you don't have the core. A hundred percent. And I will say, you know, I ended up getting uh, sick, uh, you know, because it was, uh, you know, around the cold season being in December when it happened. I would borderline almost want to cry because I knew I was about to sneeze and sneezing. I can't stop myself from fully tightening up. And that hurt so bad. <laughs> Dude, terrible. David Bakhtiari joining us. You mentioned December. All right. So you're you grew up in Northern California. I'm a Southern California guy. And you mentioned December. I'm kind of playing with this notion of going back to Wisconsin in December. I've never done that before. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? It depends on what you consider a bad idea. Right. Probably the same things you do. I don't know. They keep telling me, hey, man, hey, man, just do it. Just do it. There's snowmobiling. And like, and I'm like, and what? And what else? Uh, Ice fishing. And what else? Uh, Drinking. And what else? Pretty much that. That. Well, I like one of those things. The last thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's that's about it. Um, I'm not going to sit here and oversell the the weather out here in, in Wisconsin. I mean, it gets cold and it snows and there's... Not a whole lot. I mean, you get to hunker down, you get some beautiful snow days um, if you can appreciate snowfall. But, I mean, there's, like, no mountains you can ski on them. And in the point of December, even if we did, it's not like I would even want to. You and I are coming from the same place. I'm I'm led to believe that there is a small mountain not far from where we are in the Northwoods, but I, I don't know if that's true. David Bakhtiari joining us. All right, so one thing. So you feel like you're saying you feel as good now as you've felt in quite some time. I know the team has been very careful about how they use you on the practice field. Folks around there have taken to calling you the Lamborghini, which to me is awesome. For those who do not get the reference, why are they calling you that? Um, you know, I can't take full credit. It came from Chad Clifton, the old left tackle. Um uh, it, it pretty much just means you just pull out the car once a week. You, you know, when you have a nice car like a Lamborghini, you pull it out, you turn the engine on, you take it on a nice drive on Sunday, um, you get to use it and have all, you know, all your fun with it, and then you put it back in the garage and let it sit for the week. You never want to put too many miles or too much wear on the, uh, on the Lamborghini, and that's kind of uh, what's been, uh, you know, on my horizon. I'm not going to say it's not the greatest thing, but I have to just accept, you know, that's where I am and what we have to do to be at our best and for me to be at my best on Sunday. So, I mean, I'm making the most of the situation. No, I get that. Listen, you'd rather be out there with the fellas, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with being that low mileage exotic. You know, most of the guys I know, rich guys that have Ferraris or Lambos, they have like 7,000 miles on them total because they only break them out on the weekends. So I know, obviously, you and Aaron Rodgers are so, so tight. I know you also got a lot of mileage out of cracking on, quote, Grandpa Grandpa Aaron while he was there. <laughs> but, dude, what's it like for you to now be the old head on offense? I mean, it, it, uh, I probably never thought that this would happen um, just because, you know, Aaron being here, I was like, there's no way I'm going to outlast him. I mean, I, one, that's a quarterback. I play offensive line. Two, you know, he's never going to leave here. Um, and eventually, you know, the father time is undefeated in the NFL, so he'll come for me before him. Uh, so for, to see him still playing uh, and having me still be in Green Bay, I mean, I, it's it's wild concept for me. Uh, you know, I, I still try and be hip and cool, you know, with the guys in the locker room, keep my ear to the streets and uh, understand, you know, the type of music and lingo um, that, that they're using in, 
it's just it, for me. I think the craziest thing is you know guys calling me OG. That for me, I still have a hard time accepting just because I, I don't feel like old. I still feel like kind of youthful, but I mean, to them, you know, when I, when I tell them when I first year I started playing, they always get kind of wide-eyed, and I'm like, well, yeah, I have been around a little, quite a while. Dude, if you're an OG at 31, what does that make me at 58? Like, I'm in the ground. I've been in the ground 20 <laughs> years already, man. You're the OG's is OG. <laughs> that's, that's funny. So if your point was, how, how can this be? I never thought that I would see the day this would happen. I don't think anybody ever thought they'd see the day that Aaron Rodgers would put on somebody's uniform other than a Green Bay Packer uniform. But because you guys are so close, when that became a reality, what did you think? How did you process him moving on? I mean, uh, you know, I'm nothing but happy for him because – you know, clearly this is something that, uh, you know, he wanted to do. Um, he seems really happy. Uh, the times I've talked to him, you know, kind of a, a little bit of like rejuvenate, rejuvenated. And, you know, I think it's a fairy tale thought of having, you know, your franchise quarterback playing in one jersey their entire career and then, you know, hanging it up. But, I mean, it happens all the time. At the end of the day, this is a game, and we have the nostalgia and love for the game, but it always is a business, too. So business needs to be done on both ends. And, uh, you know, you're seeing that side of it. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's another way I, I can describe it other than that. No, I think you're right. I mean, nostalgia is so big. Nostalgia is so big. You think about parents and them passing the sport on to their kids and people who play the game. But at the end of the day, it's a business. Business is business. It's business first. So before I let you go, let me ask you, what about Jordan Love? You know, he finally gets his shot after being an understudy for three years but it's his first year starting, so how do you view him? Do you view him as a first-year quarterback, or are you going to hold him to a higher standard than that? I mean, definitely higher standard. Um, you know, he, he's had three years to understand and master the offense, which is very fortunate for any first-round quarterback. Um, get to watch and see how a first-ballot Hall of Famer and generational talent and a guy who borderline changed the quarterback position and how it's played and even the mechanics of even throwing the football. Uh, you were able to see that for three years and then now coming in. So, I mean, yeah, his, his baseline for me is way higher. And you know what? I've been very pleased with what I've seen with him. And, you know, I think he's also understanding that he, he's not going to be judged either by um, a first-year quarterback, which is great. And I, I think he's going to be competitive right out the gate. And I'm, I'm excited to see – because I've seen his development in practice. I'm really excited to see it translating into the game and him to get those game time and hours logged in and really see how he adapts and, and uh, corrects himself mid-game and game-to-game. So specifically, what have you seen from him that has impressed you the most? I, I think, uh, for me, his, his ability to, uh, to understand work in and out of the offense, manipulate multiple things, because it's, it's not as simple as just playing quarterback, you know, taking the ball from under center and throwing it to a player or handing it off. There's a lot of little nuances, a lot of pre-snap, reads there's also certain checks there's abilities to you know uh uh work cadences and snap counts a lot of things that i've seen aaron do at, at a very high level and seeing him you know i remember when he first got in and at times when i would lightly work with him seeing that growth from his rookie year to now i mean is, is exponential and that's why i'm excited to see him go and execute that in a game because there's so many little there's so many little things i think that the the fans don't get to really see or notice that happen and the uh the game within the game, so to speak. Um, and, and that's what I'm really excited for him, and that's why I definitely don't view him as a first-year quarterback because he has those kind of hours and reps and seen that underneath his belt, though not as much in a game, but uh, in the practice setting that I'm excited for him to use 
in a game setting. And then not to mention, I mean, he can he can throw the ball and do a lot of things that I, I've been impressed with. But you also have to understand, I was watching Aaron every day for a decade, so he would make one you know jaw-dropping throw at least every practice. Like that's just you know it, it's hard to come off of that. But I'm very pleased with what I've been able to see with him. And at times I'm like, okay, that's a, that is a quality throw. That's a quality check. That's a good job, man. I'm pumped by what I see. David Bakhtiari joining us. I appreciate that response. Hey, listen, one last thought about Aaron. I appreciate how uh, patient you've been with all this. Because I host a national talk show, because I spend a lot of time in Wisconsin in the summertime, I engage with a lot of Packer fans. And, David, you help me with this. Fans are fans, right? They're going to be emotional no matter what. A lot of Packer fans just are really unhappy with Aaron. Do you understand why they might feel that way? Or instead of hating on this guy, should they be thanking this guy for being one of the all-time great players? I mean, it- I think it's tough. Like, you know, uh, I, I think a fan holds on to the nostalgia. That's why I think they become fans. And I think that uh, you love the fairy tales. And like I said, it's still a business at the end of the day. And I, I think Aaron was, you know, he never really cared to defend himself as much. And then later on, he started talking a little more in the media. But he was a, a – uh, I, I think from a player – he he was going to speak his mind towards the end, and I, I appreciated any view that he had, even if it wasn't the popular view. And I think from that, people kind of got worn out. People kind of got worn out from how he acted. And, I, and you know, I know that the fans are always going to come around to him, and they should. The guy changed the game, Hall of Fame quarterback, won you a Super Bowl, you know, stayed loyal to uh, the Packers for so long. I mean, at this point, you know, it, every breakup's tough. And I think right now you're going through the breakup process, and once the scar heals, you're going to be totally happy about it and, and glad that you went through that relationship. I think, I think that's how I would correlate it. It's one of those relationships that the breakup hurts, but you're going to be best friends after. I think you nailed it. I think there's still – well, Aaron's not. I think the Packer fan is still checking the ex's social and they should just let it go. I think ultimately it's going to be fine. Like, I, I love Aaron. I've always loved Aaron. I think the fans will miss him more than they think. I think Aaron's going to miss you, dude. I think he – obviously he would say that. Let me ask you one last thing, man. You've been so awesome with your time. You and I have one more thing in common. Not only our Wisconsin roots, our California roots, but my wife and I are dropping our younger son off in Boulder next week to be a buff. Dude, is that a good decision? And what do I need to know before I leave that kid there? A couple things. One, he's going to have a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my time there. It is beautiful. Two, take advantage of all the hikes. Go make sure to go check out the Flatirons. Three, Pearl Street's a lot of fun. Um, When you go visit, there's great restaurants down there. It's a it's a good vibe. Um, four, you got to hit Cosmos Pizza and get the spicy ranch. Like that is a total must hit. Um, at least when I anytime I go back there, and then um, obviously the buff. I think anyone that talks about breakfast, the buff is solid. Love it. Love the advice. He is a three-time Pro Bowler. He is a five-time All-Pro. David Bakhtiari, my guest, dude. I appreciate you so much. What a great conversation, David. Thank you very much. Great to have you back on. Yeah, Jim. I appreciate it, man. You take care. Always good to hear. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match.
Number one, if something seems too good to be true, generally it is. Number two, sports movies generally suck. They're cheesy as hell. They're rarely ever actually true stories, even though they're supposedly based on true stories. Believe it or not, there weren't only six players on that team from Hoosiers. And Herman Boone and the T.C. Williams Titans did not win the 1971 Virginia State Championship on a last-second TD. And incredibly enough, the Golden Domers never really slow-clapped for Rudy or walked into the coach's office and dramatically laid their uniforms on the desk because... Well, yeah, because that could ever happen. Because a bunch of upperclassmen were not going to take the field unless that undersized, overachieving dude who was making it hell on all of them in practice, Rudy, got into a game. I mean, how absurd is that? You imagine these All-Americans, nope, nope, we're not playing, coach. Not unless Rudy gets in the game. I understand that Hollywood is always going to take creative license. Man, but get that crap out of here. Even the Rudy chant itself couldn't have been true, right? So, you know what else apparently is not real? The Tuies never adopted Michael Orr. That, that's right. The blind side is a gigantic lie, according to Orr, anyway. He also says that he was actually manipulated by the Tuies into thinking that he was adopted. Just so, in his words, they could reap the benefits of his amazing story, but that he was never actually adopted by them. And apparently he's only now discovering this. In other words, it looks like the real story of the blindside dude is that the blindside dude actually got blindsided by his fake family, allegedly. And if that's the case, then you have one of the alleged all-time best sports feel-good stories ever actually being just the opposite, if he's telling the truth. In fact, one of the all-time sports feel-good stories ever looks like it's going to end up in a courtroom. According to the ESPN story that broke yesterday, Orr has filed a legal petition in Shelby County, Tennessee that reads, quote, alleges that the Tuies used their power as conservators to strike a deal that paid them and their two birth children millions of dollars in royalties from an Oscar-winning film that earned more than $300 million while Orr got nothing. For a story that would not have existed without him. End of quote. <laughs> Imagine the actual biological kids getting paid on it. But not the story that the, the is actually about. The other player. The other quote kid. So again, here's what he's alleging. That they never actually adopted him. That they just told him that they were adopting him. And then they tricked him into signing a conservatorship papers, meaning they apparently had control over his finances for his entire adult life. And somehow he never saw a cent from the massively successful award-winning movie about his life. This is what he says. Of course, the Tuies deny this. They're calling the allegations, quote, devastating and, quote, insulting. 
And the allegedly fake father even tried to explain the adoption conservativeship mix-up and blame it on the NCAA. Quote, they said the only way Michael could go to Ole Miss was if it was actually part of the family. I sat Michael down and told him, if you're planning to go to Ole Miss or even considering Ole Miss, we think you have to be a part of the family. This would do that legally. We contacted lawyers who had told us that we couldn't adopt over the age of 18. The only thing we could do was to have a conservatorship. End of quote. So I guess the Tui's needed some better lawyers because that's straight bullcrap. That's not true. Adult adoption is absolutely legal in Tennessee. So that's not exactly the most convincing argument. That's not actually true, apparently. The fake father also claimed yesterday that the family didn't actually make any money from the movie itself, which also sounds and smells like bullcrap. They made no money off the movie. Where did the money go? Who made the money if not that family? Now, that's not to say that there aren't still questions. Like, how did it take Orr so long to put this all together and figure it all out? How is it possible that he only figured all of this out in February of this year, as he claims? How is it possible that he hasn't had full control of his finances over the past 19 years, but also didn't realize that? And isn't it all a bit convenient that this has come to light in the middle of him promoting a new book? I don't know. Plenty of questions, not too many answers. All we know is this so-called feel-good story that we were sold may in fact be a total and complete lie. And amazingly enough, as part of the book promotion, Michael Orr was just in the jungle last week. My thanks to and props to DA for doing a great job of filling in. Check out what Orr told him last week on this show about his biggest issues with the movie itself. I think the biggest for me is, you know, being portrayed, uh, not being able to read or write. Uh, second grade, I was doing plays and for in front of the school, and I, I think that's one of the when you go into a locker room and your teammates don't think that you can learn a playbook, you know that weighs heavy uh, on someone. You, you know, and you have to understand. I understand that the movie has given me a position. I'm honored to have the position it's given me, but you know you have to understand. Before I moved in with the family, I was an all American. That's what I want the generations behind me to see in this book right here, to understand that you don't have to come have someone save you and rescue you to go out and be successful. You got every tool uh, in you. And this book right here is a playbook on life. You know, looking yourself in the mirror when I was 11, 12-year-old kid, telling myself, hey, everyone's around, everyone around you is even in an even worse situation that you're in. So you're going to have to get up and do this thing yourself. Yeah, my man, but the movie won't be nearly as compelling if that's the story. The movie is much more compelling if you can't read or write. Let's not let the facts get in the way of a good storyline, my guy. So what he's saying is it's pretty much all one big fat lie. He wasn't shy. He wasn't illiterate. He could read. He could write. 
And the family absolutely did not teach him football. There's that angle, too. They taught him how to play football. Oh, one more thing. They actually didn't adopt him either, apparently. And the dude never needed any saviors, even though they threw Sandy Bullock and Oscar. And now people are trying to take that back from her, which is hilarious to me. And he didn't need that savior that she apparently was for doing such an amazing job playing his supposed real-life savior and mother. Like, he's saying it's straight up made up. Straight up made up. Again, if it seems too good to be true, it generally is. And if it's a sports movie based on a true story, it's probably actually mostly BS. This is why I'm not a sports movie guy. I'm actually anti-sports movie guy. And you know I'm not a list guy, but as we go to break, I am going to give you the quick list. Lists are lazy as hell, but I'm going to give you a list of the all-time best sports movies. Are you ready? Here is my list of the all-time best sports movies. Space Jam 1, the end. There's your list. Here's my list of the all-time worst sports movies. All of the rest of them. And in last place, the worst one ever... Space Jam 2. The end. Manny in Oxnard. Manny, what's going on? Pimp in the box. Welcome back to SoCal, my friend. Como esta usted, Senor Jaime? Muy bien. ¿Y usted? I am so damn good. Gracias for the line, Vance Mac. Hey, first off, Romy, allow me to welcome back San Antonio and an affiliate 94.1. Whose idea was it to curtail the jungle, the most outstanding talk and radio show in the whole world, in todo el mundo? That's whack. San Antonio, you've been gone for a damn decade. For those of you San Antonians who have no clue what a decade is, well, let me just say, it's not to help you play poker. Rome, props to San Antonio fan or whoever is responsible for spanking the dumbass monkeys of all the stations that the Jim Rome show could have been broadcast on. 94-1, you win and you stepped up. Props to you. Rome, while I'm on the subject of San Antonio, I want to call out Gino in San Antonio. Hey, Gino, did you take over for Dick Flowers out here in SoCal where he writes for several smack-off ticket holders? I'm calling you out for writing the script for JT from SA yesterday. That couldn't have been a first-time caller. I'm sorry. Rome, one more thing on San Antonio, if I may. To be specific, the Spurs. I guess if you're not cheating, you're not trying, right, Rome? Rome, can anyone please explain to me how every time the Spurs go into the toilet, which is about every decade, clones, Silk Bra, the teacher, can help you with what a decade is. Okay, he'll do the math. How does Greg Popovich, Rome, get a seven-foot player who is destined to win in San Antonio? It really sucked for Detroit this year, who had the best odds to acquire the first pick in the NBA draft. So sorry, bad boy Detroit. The NBA elite will never give you a potential superstar because of the malice in the palace. So you had to know San Antonio and Pop were going to get the frozen ball, for crime sakes. Lastly, Rome... To move off of San Antonio, I think they've had enough spanking. I'd like to move on to your son, Logan Rome, if I may. Pat Snack, 
if you logically think it through, Logan Rome knew what the hell he was doing when he pawned the iPhone in Colombia. He had to have a few extra pesos for all the teenage fun that he was about to have over there and what he's been dreaming of having. Okay? Make sure, Rome, that when you go to, uh, to Boulder, go to Devil's Backbone and try that hike. That is amazing. When you get to the top, there's a lone lake there, and the squirrels will come up and eat nuts out of your hand, bro. It's on the east side of Boulder. And also check out Estes Park. Rack me. Adios, man, smack. Adios, Manny. Mi hermano. Let's go to San Antonio. In market. On topic. Sam. Good to have you, Sam. What's going on? Jimo, it's great to talk to you today. My man. Hey, it's uh, great to have. It's a pleasure to have you back on the airways here in the Alamo City. I've uh, been a long-time listener since um, 06, actually. When you used to, I think they called it the ticket on the AM. But uh, once again, just wanted to call and uh, tell you that it was great to have you on the airways. And uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to give a shout out to a friend of mine for the return of uh, Jeff in San Antonio. Thank you, Vance Mack. You have a great day, sir. You too, brother. All right, Sam. Nice to have you. Hit me with the Jimmos. Alvin almost rang him up. And I love the reaction we're getting from San Antonio. So we jumped this guy right to the front of the line, Jordan, in San Antonio. Jordan, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Jim. Uh, first time caller here. The last time you were on air in San Antonio, I was eight years old. So I'm sorry if I don't know any of the history between you and the city. But nice to have you back. But I think one thing San Antonio really needs, really would get us amped for the season, you know, just talking, getting hyped for the NFL. Why don't we got a team down here? I think that San Antonio is more than deserving of an NFL team. And, you know, you got two in L.A. there with you. I'd be we would be happy to take one of them off your hands. You know, doesn't seem like two is quite the number there in L.A. But as for my take, I think that the Packers this season can really make some noise in the NFC as long as, you know, Jordan Love pans out. Let's say that the wide receivers develop. He plays great football. I don't see anything going on that is really stopping this team from being a great contender great defense, great O-line, great running game, wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, you know, it will go with love. Love is good, then the Packers will be good. That's my take. All right, Jordan, good to have you. Appreciate it. He said, hey, listen, by the way, you know it would be great? It would be great if we had an NFL franchise. And since you have two there in L.A., why don't you just chip us off one? Oh, all right. I'll get right on that. Let's go to South Carolina, Ron. Great to have you on the show, Ron. How are you? How are you, Mr. Ron? I am super. How about you? It's wild. First time caller. I've been listening to you since 1996 out of 104.9 in Clemson. And I've never called the show because I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, But I just want to thank you for all the interviews through the years. Uh, You are definitely an OG at what you do. Uh, and like I said, I'm 63, so I guess I'm an OG, too. I don't, I don't know what at, though. But we do appreciate you here in the Carolinas. And uh, the previous caller from San Antonio was a young blood. He, I think he's like 18 or 19 years old. And he won a football team in San Antonio. Well, be careful what you ask for. We got the Panthers. And there's more Vikings jerseys and Bears jerseys and Green Bay jerseys around here than the Panthers. Uh, 
And that's all I got to say. I do appreciate you, sir. Have a great day. My guy, Ron in South Carolina. I appreciate you, dude. Nice job. For a guy who allegedly didn't have much to say, that's pretty good. He's like, be careful what you wish for, son. You want an NFL franchise? Well, we have the Panthers. And there's a lot more Viking jerseys around here than Panther jerseys. Good night, now!